Hello there. Welcome to Unmitigated Bounders. You unmitigated bounders. I'm Pete. And I'm Fred. And today we will be discussing the film Adventures of a Private Eye. Yes, indeed. He's very excited to uh, to to get into it, Fred. An- another episode be set with uh, technical difficulties, but hopefully we are, you know, nearly through the woods on that indeed. one. Indeed. Uh, I mean, yeah, this is the second time we've had to record this because uh, something went wrong, which may or may not have been related to you drinking beer while you were doing it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a bit uncouth, and I'm, I'm, I, I apologise for that. I'm drinking coffee now, so, um, yeah, let's keep it civilised. Yeah. So... Uh, Fred, we'll, 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 we won't stand on ceremony. I think last in our last episode, which has gone down really well, I must say, had some really nice comments about it. We discussed, obviously, the first film, Adventures of a Taxi Driver, um, and we went into the background in terms of you know, Stanley Long, why those films really came about you know, in, really, in response to the Confessions films, etc. So we don't really need to cover that again today. Are you OK with that? Yeah, that's fine. Um so this film, there, there is a little bit of thing I have to add. Um, so this film was again directed by uh, Stanley Long and produced by Stanley and Peter Long, brothers. Yes. Um, and this film was written by Michael Armstrong. And Michael Armstrong was something of a, what's the phrase, wunderkind of the film industry. Um, I didn't realise you could speak German. <laughs> Um, so he was very young when he started in the film business. He wrote and directed a film called Haunted House of Horror in the late 60s, which stars Frankie Avalon and Richard O'Sullivan's in it as well. Oh, wow. Um, and then he made a notorious horror film called Mark of the Devil, which was a super, really popular film all over Europe. And it's, it's a very, very disturbing film, actually. Um, and um, and he went on to write and star in Eskimo Nell, which was produced by Stanley Long. Yes, some would say it's the, the Citizen Kane of the sex comedy. <clears throat> that is what has been said, yes. Yes. And, um, and then he uh, got together with Stanley Long um, to write this one. But what I have discovered Ooh. is that he actually had quite a lot to do with Adventures of a Taxi Driver. Ah. He is listed as associate producer on that, but right. I have been reading his screenplay of Adventures of a Private Eye, and he actually pretty much wrote most of that film, Taxi Driver. Um, so the script for Taxi Driver, when uh, Stanley asked him to have a look at it, because he wasn't uh, entirely satisfied, and apparently it was only about half an hour long. Um, All right. So Michael Armstrong got to work and added lots of um, bits and pieces. And he is responsible for the classic um, bath scene that we see in that. Ah. Yeah. It uh, is, which is, as we discussed last week, probably the the sort of iconic it moment is, in the film. Indeed. And also, uh, Stanley gave Michael Armstrong responsibility for casting. So it's... According to Michael Armstrong, it was his idea to uh, cast Barry Evans and um, all the other actresses that were in Here We Go, Mad and the Robbie Bush as well. So that was all... So that, that, that was a purposeful thing. 
Yes. The, the Mulberry Bush connection. Wow. It certainly was. And that because they're all good friends of Michael Armstrong. Um so he was and he was responsible for casting of the Private Eye film as well. So he had quite a lot to do with this film. Wow. Yeah, that is that is good info. Um my mind's blown a little bit. I, I mean, can I just roll back a second so you've you've bought this you've bought the um the screenplay had the had the shop ran out of sort of Kubrick scripts and <laughs> Corn Brothers scripts. Yeah, there's no Ingmar Bergman left on the shelf. So <laughs> I've got this tatty old filth. <laughs> Inga Bergman. Yeah. <laughs> Anna Bergman, sorry. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, wow. No, that's. I mean, you know, if we reflect on the the film we discussed previously, Taxi Driver, and then today, and we'll get into it, it it, it actually comes as no surprise that. He's heavily involved because they are they are a cut above most of most of the uh, uh, imitations. Yes, they are definitely. And um, so, like I said, Michael Armstrong was associate producer on both these films. So he, you know, he was very very um, linked to the making of both of these. Excellent. But, but you you put me to shame with. Uh... <laughs> the research yeah so and there's one big difference with this film of course in that there's no barry evans yes so we you know we we covered that in the previous episode in terms of his decisions his his questionable decisions i would i would say with the you know the uh, aid of historical hindsight so we haven't got barry evans we've got a relative relatively a relative newcomer um, so to speak, um, in the shape of Christopher Neal. Yes, who was uh, a very good friend of Michael Armstrong, apparently. Ah, and yes, he's in Eskimo. He's in Eskimo yeah. now in, a, in yeah. a small role. Exactly. I wonder how they got to know. Uh, that's really interesting because you know I'll cover a tiny bit about Christopher Neal in a second in terms of his background. But I wonder how their sort of paths crossed. Um, well, I think that whole group of people were, you know, they're, they're always um, in lots of films together and they're probably all, you know, powered around in the clubs of London, didn't they? Yeah, in the squats of London. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Um, and again, this Christopher Neal, this film, uh, Christopher Neal has also been in films with people like Adrian Poster and, you know. Yes. So, so they, all, uh, they all know each other. It's all very incestuous. Well, that's, there's a whole, there's a whole new episode uh, <laughs> about incest in the 70s um so christopher neil so he kind of for a lot of people he'll have come out of nowhere and kind of big in terms of a name big boots to fill you know barry evans big star maybe things were starting to slow down from a little bit before they picked up again yeah but still big boots to fill and <clears throat> i mean we, we'll we'll come to our sort of review of chris chris neil but um just, I think, a, a, a bit of background. He was, um, he used to be, he was in a sort of beat band, a beat combo in Manchester in the 60s, who were called the Chuckles, uh, or also the Big Chuckles. And they never quite made it. They did have involvement at the Cavern and they, um, they sort of launched a single from the Cavern with the the assistance of Bob Wooler, who's a, a famous face in a famous name in, in Beatles folklore. Yep. Um, but they never quite, and at that time he was Paddy O'Neill because he, he was born in Ireland. So I think his name, real name's Patrick O'Neill. They never quite made it. He, you know, 
came to London sort of as, you know, all lucky man style or, or indeed, as you said the other week, Cooler Carol style, <laughs> um, came to London and to, to make his to make his fortune and, and you know, he did quite well, it seems. Well, yeah. Um, so he was also, he was in a few musicals, wasn't he? Yeah. Um... West End musicals. Yeah, I think uh, the usuals like Godspell and Jesus Christ Superstar, yeah. stuff like that, I think. And he was in um, another Michael Armstrong connection. He was in a film called The Sex Thief that was written by Michael Armstrong and the aforementioned Eskimo Nell. And Three for All, which is one of these strange, a strange sort of trend of films, sort of musicals, I suppose, but with sort of glam rock groups in. In the yeah. mid seventies, there's three for all, and there's a couple more, isn't there? That came and out. You're, that you're really keen. You're really keen on them, aren't you? <laughs> I've tried to watch them, but they're oh, excruciating. <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, it, it, you've got you know you've got three for all. We are digressing slightly, and we'll get back to it. But in terms of those sort of glam rock musical comedies, you've got three for all, which is dreadful. Um, despite a really great cast um you've got side by side which is pretty bad and then yeah. you've got probably the worst of them uh never too never too young yep. to rock yeah never too young to rock i think the pro- the problem is with those films is, is when they try and get the the people in the group to act then it all goes a bit uh... yeah because it's the drummer out of mud he's in a <laughs> he's in he's got a, quite a key role in side by side yeah um uh, there there is i suppose one it doesn't easily sit alongside them, but the one film of the time, which it, broadly you could put in the same categories, um, Slade and Flame. Yes, but, but that's that, a whole, the whole different gravy, isn't it? That's that's a whole different ball game, yeah. And and we haven't got onto the the film directed by Norman Cohen, starring a slimmed down version of the Bay City Rollers filmed in South Africa. But we haven't got time for that today. Uh, that's that's quite obscure. So yes, he was in West End musicals. He seemingly palled up with Paul Nicholas lately yep. of you know just good friends etc. And they became a bit of a songwriting partnership. And indeed, they co-wrote the title track for today's film. Yeah. So he uh, wrote the theme tune and sang the theme tune, Dennis <laughs> Waterman <right>. style. <laughs> Uh, shall we have a listen? Yeah. I'm losing sleep because I got to keep an eye on you. You cannot be trusted for one night. I not alone, I know that's true. I got information from, information from my private Story calling on cars, it's quarter to three. 
Okay, so what's the film about? Well, you could you, you could really sort of boil it down to, to three to kind of three bits. Um, Christopher Neal, aka Bob West, following yep. on from Joe North in Adventures of a Taxi Driver. Do you see what they did? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was just chatting. Um, he's he's a he's a private eye, or indeed. A private dick. Yes, I think they they didn't really. I think that was the original title of the film, actually, "Adventures of a right. Private Dick." But maybe they figured that was a you know, little bit too, too much. Well, they were purveyors of you know good taste and class, so <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not surprised yeah. they they went with that. But so, before we carry on, if I just say that this um, this film is very plot driven compared to the other two in the series, it's got a much more dense plot. It's, it's more uh, yeah, it's definitely better written in that way. It's it's almost not a sex comedy. Exactly. To be really honest. Exactly. Yeah. It's more like a sort of comedy mystery, um, sort of not necessarily an ailing film, but the kind of the kind of film that would get banged out in the fifties and sixties. You know, like yeah. what's the Sid James and Kenneth Connor one? What a carve up! And then you've yeah. got your know, Frankie Howard in the. Uh, the Haunted House one, I forget what it's called. I mean, I, I, I believe, I think underneath it all, that's the sort of film Stanley would really like to have made, really. Yeah, and I think I think he came, I think he came close with this one. Um, and ironically, this is, you know, as we're going to discuss, we think a, a really strong film, but ironically, it didn't perform as well as the other films. No, at the box correct. office. Yeah, so. In terms of what it's about, we've got Bob West, who uh, is is a private detective, a pretty woeful private detective. Um, he works for a, a detective agency headed by uh, Judd... Oh, God, I keep forgetting his name. Judd, Judd Blake? Judd Blake, indeed, yes. Which is a very private detective, American private detective type name. Yeah. So great attention to detail there in terms of the script. Uh, Judd Blake is played by... Yeah, now, somebody very close to your heart. Indeed. Uh, so th- this this film does have a couple of great casting coups, um, and the first of which is Judd Blake is played by Mr. John Pertwee. Oh, I like how you pronounce that. There. Is that is that the <laughs> Pertwee? Is that the sort of Parisian pronunciation? <laughs> I think that's how he pronounced it actually. Um, really? Yeah, I think so. To make it sound a bit, you know, a bit more classy. All right. You know, I've never known a fella cram so many beautiful women into one day. My boss goes through secretaries like a chain smoker. This one only started this morning. Amateur. Peering through keyholes is for the amateur. I wasn't actually, Mr. Blake. I just thought I'd drop something on the floor. Mm. Bugging. Now, that's the professional way. Bugging. Yes, and like everything else, purely a matter of technique. Now, you stick with me, and you'll soon learn to be a successful bugger. Um, so yeah, and obviously this is post Doctor Who and free Wurzel Gummidge. Um, so John Pertwee, he, he, around this time, in those intervening years, he did a lot of episodes of the TV show Who Done It. Oh, of course, yes. That went on for a few years, um, but he's also he's also in a another sort of not sex comedy, sort of action, low budget action sex comedy type film. Uh, one of the 
Lindsay Shontef ones. Um, what's that called? Uh, number one, uh, number one spy in the Secret Service or something it's called. And he's got this weird. He's got this weird. Sorry, it, yeah, go on, go on. He's got this weird cameo. It's just this kind of vicar who's kind of reading a porn mag. <laughs> is that the Nicky Henson one, or is that the Gareth Hunt? The one? Nicky Henson one, yeah. I, I, I need. They're quite hard to get a hold of, and I think if you do find the copy, maybe online, it's never particularly watchable. So, um, the, 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 the Lindsay Shonshift is a whole different thing to discuss, like at another date. Right. Okay. Um, um, so yeah, so he's he's between Doctor Who and Wurzel Gummidge. So obviously, you know, and. Um, it, it's a great, a great casting uh, for this role. It, it doesn't, it doesn't eke of a desperate for the money type job. It's 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 very clearly a, 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 a special guest cameo, and there's lots of kudos to the to the role. He kind of bookends the film because he's in the the first scene and then he's in the final scene. Exactly. Um, yeah. And he's an important character in the proceedings. Um, it, it isn't one of these kind of thoughtless scenarios where they've they've got some they've got some great actor sort of on his uppers, as you would say, um, and then they've just given them like a a kind of neither here nor there part. It's a very respectful cameo role, if that makes sense. It's respectful, yes, and um, uh, and of course he gets to have his hairy chest massaged by a naked lady. <laughs> and we, of course, we see his his medallion, the famous Pertwee's medallion. Yeah, which just for um, listeners out there, when we were contemplating doing the podcast <laughs> and coming up with titles, Pertwee's medallion for a while was the uh, was the was the favourite. It was indeed, yeah. <laughs> so but I think unmitigated bounders has got a better ring to it. Sorry, I digress. You're, you're uh, gonna you're gonna try and get us back on track, aren't you? What were we? Uh, so yes, yeah, so. A, a lady comes, uh, Susie Kendall. Another another nice bit of casting. Well, so, sorry to interrupt you. In terms of the broad plot, he works for Judd. Judd says he's going away, I think, on business, and he needs Bob to look after the the agency, but he doesn't want him to really do anything because he knows he's useless, he knows he's hopeless. He basically says, just look after the office, don't touch anything, don't get involved in any cases. Bob says, of course not. Um, and then within about two minutes of him being in charge, Susie Candle uh, turns up. Back to you. Um, yes, so she comes and she's got a case involving kind of blackmail and stuff, isn't Yeah, it's a bit of a... She's she's um, in a sort of Anna Nicole Smith style. She's been married to a octogenarian would that be the word yeah i think so yeah that's a good word um who's sadly passed away um sorry in addition to being an octogenarian he was a millionaire octogenarian yeah um he sadly passed away she's set to inherit everything but there was a clause in his will which says she won't get anything if she brings disgrace to the family and of course she's been caught in a compromising position with somebody and it's there are photos which are putting her inheritance uh, at jeopardy exactly um and so she tells him not to show anyone the photos um and he promptly starts um there's a uh, one of your favorite scenes isn't it 
<laughs> yeah, in the pub. Uh, it's a brilliant scene. Well, she 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 mentions that there's photos, and uh, Bob West says, um, uh, "Do you have them? Uh, can I see them?" And she, and she keeps on just chatting, and he's sort of trying to slyly sort of pretend that he needs to see them for um, you know professional reasons, and then he eventually gets them, and he looks at them, and he's turning he's turning them round, and he goes. Oh, you look really good. <laughs> <laughs> and then she says, you know, you must promise not to show them to anybody. And he says, oh, absolutely, you have my word. And then, and this happens a few times in the film. And it's kind of, there's probably a name for this sort of comedic device. Um, and it must be a Michael Armstrong thing. He says, yes, you have my word. And then it cuts straight away to him and his good pal, played by Ian Lavender, um, sat, at a, sat at a bar in a pub, um, looking at the photos and la- <laughs> laughing their heads off. Um, and then that scene just continues to get better and better. Yeah, it's a brilliant scene. You're out of your head. How can you take on a job like this? It's amazing what you can do with a garlic sausage. Oh, it's an open and shut case. There's absolutely nothing to it. Anyway, it's a cucumber, isn't it? Um... So there's the photos, um, <laughs> and this this all leads to various um, uh, Bob West donning various disguises to try and track down various people, and it leads to a, 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 a an old house, doesn't it? Yeah, sorry, I'm sat here chuckling, thinking thinking about him and his various disguises. <laughs> I mean. He, he goes, you know, I know we weren't going to go into every bit of the plot today, but obviously there's the scene where he goes um, dressed as a um, sort of exterminator, a pest pest controller. Yes, that's person. his first disguise, isn't it? So he's got this sort of wonky moustache on. Um, and he uh, he goes to the um, it's the house of the potential blackmailer, isn't it? Yes. Um, played by? Diana Dawes. Um, no, who's the blackmailer? Robin Stewart, isn't it? Oh, sorry. The, the blackmailer is, is Robin Stewart. Yeah. I've, I've, I've jumped ahead. Um, of um, Bless This House fame. Bless This House fame, who, sadly for him, but luckily for us, didn't feature in the film version of Bless This House yeah. and was played by a certain Mr. Robin Asquith. Yeah, and that led to all sorts of things, didn't it? it? Re- yeah, it really yeah. did. Um, but yeah, he goes to that house and he's got the wonky moustache and he's got his overalls on. He's got a... Uh, uh, an old workman style cap on, I think, and he's got a he's got a northern accent. So you know, cap, mustache, <laughs> northern accent. You know, what else would a a, a rat a rat catcher come dressed as? And as you just said, um, it's another cameo for uh, Diana Dawes. Another quick five hundred quid in the bank. Yeah, um, and you know, we'll 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 talk about the cast in a bit more detail later. It, the film kind of. It's kind of full of two. It, it, there's kind of two different camps in this film, isn't there? Um, I mean, firstly, one thing we've omitted to mention so far is that it's a sensational cast. It's an extensive cast. There's yeah. loads of people in it, loads of really good people in it. But really, you could break it down into two camps. The the usual people who turn up in these films, Diana Dawes, um, but then there's the less usual people, such as John Pertwee, Susie Kendall, and, and somebody else that we'll we'll get to yep. shortly. So, sorry, he's he's so eventually you were you were about to say he ends up at a yeah in, his, in his quest to get yeah. to the bottom of the mystery. He he turns up at a sort of old spooky house. 
Um, oh, are we going to talk about that other scene later? The mouse, the mouse traps. <laughs> we, could, yeah, we could talk about that. That's all right. Yeah. No, so yeah, he's, yeah, so he goes to this diner doors. Is the housekeeper? Yes. He goes about setting up some mouse traps while he's you know trying to look for stuff. Um, and then he uh, he goes and uh, sort of camps opposite the house, uh, peering over a wall, seeing what's going on. And he's seen by um, a nosy neighbour, Irene Handel, who's called... Miss Friggin. Miss Friggin. <laughs> and that comes back to that, you know, good taste and class that we talked about earlier. Yeah. Yeah. Again, Irene Handel, uh, a regular of these types of yes. films. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, uh, and there's some business with where she's talking to a policeman. Well, I can't see anyone. He must have gone, only there was definitely someone outside prowling about in the bushes. No, no, Miss Friggin. That makes three you say you've seen in the past week. Now, they can't all have been sex maniacs, can they? Oh, I don't agree. There are a lot of them about, you know. You've really no cause for alarm. A lot of them go for older women now. It said so in the papers. And so Robin Stewart comes back, basically, uh, and he's you know he's about to make love to a lady in his bed. She she says, I hope you don't think I usually do this kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, the, the mousetrap in the bed goes off in the only place it could possibly go off. And is, is there a, I can't remember, is there a sort of close-up yelp? There's no close-up, no, but you, you see him sort of hopping around, clutching his uh, groin. And, you know, I think it's just worth pointing out, this seems to be standard fare. Uh, it's almost a kind of trademark of these films. So if you think in Taxi Driver, there's a slightly, I think, a slightly iffy snake in the bed scene. Yeah. Um, we've got this scene with the, the mouse That's trap right. yeah. going off. And then in Plumber's Mate, which we'll cover next, there's a, a very weird scene where a cat's getting squashed under the mattress whilst yes, uh, indeed. our hero goes at it with a yeah. young lady. <laughs> yeah, so, um, so yeah, so that all ends, you know, at predict- predictable chaos. Yes. Um, so, yeah, so then we get to meet the relatives of Susie Kendall, right? Uh, well, it's the relatives of Susie Kendall's late, yeah, late millionaire uh, yeah, husband. husband yeah. um, so that's when the film kind of turns into this weird kind of haunted house sort of comedy. <laughs> and it all looks, I mean, it all looks pretty good, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, um, yeah. Because it will, I mean, this, this might be covered in the uh, the, the script the, the, the script book that you picked up, but it obviously all, none of it, this is in in a studio no. so how did they create this haunted house very authentic looking haunted house probably somewhere that Stanley knew you know he, probably somewhere he's used before I yeah. imagine yeah. Um, so yeah so it's haunted house so basically it's not a haunted house but it's got that sort of vibe to it and we meet these crazy relatives so we've got Anna Quayle who's uh, again in a couple of Stanley's films yeah um, and she's she's very you know basically the people in this uh, scene get a massive chance to ham it up greatly and yeah and they go for it don't they yeah they really uh, go for it and she she's she kind of 
she has a she's kind of a witch type character. She she sees the future and you know she's full of um, not very positive omens for Bob. I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and then we've got. Um... Medea Trees, Judd Blake. Oh. I see the mark of death on you. Judd's just staying for a few days. Yes, I can sense he won't be with us for very long. I have the second sight. Liz Fraser, uh, another stalwart of these films, of course. It's a nice little role for her. Um, yeah. And uh, the second of our aforementioned big casting coups, I think, Harry H. Corbett. Yeah. Um, he, you know, we, we discussed this before, and I think you touched on it in terms of if, if you are to believe the sort of narrative that emerged, which is that he was stifled by Steptoe, but then, you know, work could otherwise couldn't get the the kind of work he particularly wanted, and couldn't get a lot of work at all. I think these mythologies often take on a life of their own and aren't as cut and dry or black and white as this team. Like the 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 the, the, the long running narrative that they, him and Wilfred Bramble hated each other, for example. Yeah, exactly. I think that's I think that's blown out of proportion. But again, probably uh, and, uh, Michael Armstrong had a lot to do with him being in this film, I suspect. Um, and I mean, it's it's a nice little role, and it's it's the role is a thousand times better than the one he took after this in the film What's Up, Super Doc. Yeah, I mean that's that that is that is a that so, is a fall from grace. Yeah, that's uh, a, unfortunately, that day of his career, I'd say. Yeah, um, but he he was also in, and he also co-wrote. To what extent I don't know. Um, Percy's Progress, the the sequel to Percy. Oh yeah, okay. yes he is in that, isn't he? Yeah, that that's quite a decent film though. Yeah, it's it's out there. I mean, it's very different to its predecessor. Just a quick, just a quick little tidbit in terms of Harry H. Corbett in this film. Um, about a year ago, I bought some. I bought a press book um, for this film with some black and white stills. Okay. Um, yeah. It was a really decent price. It wasn't. It was less than twenty quid. Put it that way. Um, and when they came through, it had a slight foisty smell. It had obviously been in storage, whether it was in some, you know, Soho basement for years or what. I don't know. But when I opened it up, and obviously I don't think the seller had looked too closely, um, there was a signed picture of Christopher Neil, and then also a signed picture of Harry H. Corbett. Um, und- if in my view, undoubtedly authentic. I mean, oh, who cool. would, yeah. who would, who would forge a? I'm not being disrespectful, but who would think to forge a Christopher Neil um, autograph? Um, so yeah, that was a nice little find, and I, I think he, according to uh, Simon Sheridan's book with Stanley, um, I think Harry H. Cobbett was heavily involved in the publicity for the film. Okay. Sort of going yeah. going on tour and stuff like that. So, um, so yeah, that was a nice little find, and I haven't I haven't sold. I I won't sell it. Um, so yeah, he's on he's on fine form. Um, in this, he he has some really good lines, and like you say, he hams it up. And yeah. there's lots of him and Liz are like totally bonkers in this, aren't they? They're brother and sister, I think, aren't they? Yes, they yeah. are. Yeah. You uh, you all live here, do you? Live here, knowing that. Yeah. Oh, 
No, we, uh, we have a house in Isha. Sydney built it. He's a building contractor. Do you remember that block of flats that fell down last year? They were his. Rows and rows of concrete all around the town. I forgot to put the girders in, they all fell down. What <laughs> 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 well, business you in, then? Uh, ornithology. He's an only what? Bird watching. Tips! <laughs> you get to see a lot of those, I suppose. <laughs> well, they're birds, aren't they? They call it the bird from hell. What? Oh, it's just a superstition. Legend has it that all who are unfaithful to the owners of Grimsdake Manor shall die screaming in the claws of a monstrous demon. Um, so, yeah, and it, it, you've also got um, Linda, Linda Regan as... Um, Clarissa. She's somebody. Clarissa, yeah, she's sorry. somebody's. She's somebody's stepdaughter. Yeah. I mean, it does all get a bit confusing, and I don't quite follow who's who and what's necessarily going on in terms of the the family stuff because there's a couple of relatives mentioned who the butler says, and we've forgotten to mention there's a, a, a sort of a, a standard sort of slightly creepy butler. Yeah. Um, he was very good, I must say. Um, I, I imagine he must have played butlers before, and I haven't looked into it, but he really he really plays the role well. Um, so speaking of Clarissa, um, obviously we know that Judd Blake had told uh, Bob, you know, not to get involved in anything or attract any, you know, undue publicity. So he ends up uh, going down to the river with Clarissa, doesn't he? And yes. um, they end up falling in the river, after which they take their clothes off. And once the clothes are off, the natural thing to do is to get in the boat and uh, have some relations. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, some interpersonal relations. Yeah, and of course the boat drifts off, and you see it drifting off with uh, Chris Neal's bum going up and down, and there's a, quite a bit of funny business with the um, the guy. Uh, the, the, there's some rowers, and the, the cocks yes. on the bike saying, row, 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 and he sort of sees the bum going up and down and naturally cycles into the river. And then, and then the rowing boat sinks, doesn't it? Yes, of course. Um, and whilst he's shouting at his team, he's saying "in, out, yes, in, out," and you know it's it's comedically timed to coincide with, uh, Bob West's bum going and up they, and down and, in the boat. And they end up, Bob and Clarissa end up in the weir, and they boat crashes, and there's some uh, paparazzi photographers who take pictures of them, <laughs> <laughs> and it ends up in the newspaper the next day. Of course, it does. Uh, yeah. I'm not really sure why. It's not really explained why the paparazzi would have been on the scene to catch. No, I'm not sure about that. But um, I don't, we, don't we, think it matters too much. Uh, so yes, so we forgot to mention that um, Ian Lavender plays Derek, uh, yes. Bob's best friend, and yes. he gets together with the new secretary, who is called Maud Babbage. Gubbage. Maud Gubbage. Grimmage. Yeah. Um, so obviously when Judd leaves, um, uh, he said there's a new secretary coming because Judd's obviously gone off with the sexy secretary. Yes. Take take down notes for him. His particulars. <laughs> yeah, his particulars. And uh, Bob gets all excited, the new secretary, and it's Maud Gubbage, who's like a classic sort of, you know, plain plain Jane sort of woman, isn't she? <laughs> But she thinks she's irresistible. Yes, 
But she gets together with Ian Lavender, and they they kind of are the ones who, you know, do the sleuthing, shall we say? Yes, and they they try to um, they try to counsel Bob to do the right thing and not do the the the, the stupid thing, and they 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 turn up eventually at the house, don't they? And they because yeah. they see they see the photos of Bob and Clarissa in the boat. Um, and they, they say, right, we best get out there and give them a hand and keep them on the straight and narrow. Uh, yeah. But, I mean, they've got the work cut out to try to do that, to be fair. Um, so, yeah, back to the plot. So there's, like, a, a photographer lurking around. He gets shot and killed, doesn't he? Well, it's yeah, it's Robin Stewart. Yeah, Robin Stewart. Uh, he's yeah. the one trying to blackmail. And um, there's... Um, so there's this plot of trying to get rid of the body, isn't there? Yeah, so... You know, Susie Kendall, because, you know, Bob's, and Susie Kendall is definitely another person who doesn't turn up in these types of films. Um, no, I think this might well have been her last film, actually. Um, around this time, she kind of stopped acting, I think, and just, um, not sure what she did, but her, her acting sort of CV kind of ends around this time. Yeah. Um, she's, she's pretty good. She, 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 she plays it. She knows exactly what she's doing, which is he's Bob's kind of almost infatuated with her and under the impression somehow that he's got a chance with her. To us, the viewer, it's clear that she's not interested and doesn't really register that he's interested or certainly pretends that she doesn't. Um, no. But she's got him wrapped around her finger and she persuades him that it would be a terrible idea to, you know, ring the police about this dead body and... Um, that they must get rid of it, which yes. you know, leads to more hilarity. More hilarity. Um, indeed. Speaking of hilarity, there is a nice little phrase in the Michael Armstrong book about script writing. Um, he, he was saying about when when he's writing a script, you weren't sh- exactly sure what was going to happen in the scene. They'll end the the scene with, and it ends with hilarious results. Well, that's what they're writing the script. Yeah. So does that just mean we'll work it out later? So yeah, so it's a catch-all for yeah. We'll see what happens. <laughs> is um, did I see on the on the you sent me a photo of the script? Is there is there an introduction by somebody? Yes, uh, Adrian Poster. Who right? Who obviously yeah turns up turns up in later. this film very soon yeah. Um, and you know we were. We are led to believe that she had a bit of an issue with this film, but the fact that she's done an intro to the printed version of the script, presumably as a as a favour to her friend Michael Armstrong. That's interesting that, because she says in the in the introduction, which was written in August twenty twenty, she had a great time working on these films. Right, so maybe that's maybe that's a little bit uh, yeah. I, I imagine she. I mean, she was quite a big West End star. She might have been a bit of a diva at one point in her life, you know. Uh, I mean, they were all at it, weren't they? Yeah. With in the you know in the next film we had that with uh, Elaine Page as well, didn't we? So sorry, they were all at it. I yeah. just mean thespians. <laughs> I don't mean sort of women or anything like that. I'm can, not being, can, you know... can we just point out Elaine Page was not at it in any way, shape, or form in any of these films? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Before we get in trouble. Yeah, we don't want. Uh, yeah, we don't want radio. The, you know, the BBC Radio Two solicitors uh, uh, on our asses. So, um, so yes. Yeah, so Bob's trying to get rid of the the body 
um, inevitably he gets pulled over by a policeman played by um, Julian Orchard. Yeah, uh, a familiar face to loads of films of the. He goes way back, doesn't he? Fifties, sixties. Yeah. Um, he's got a very kind of sort of horse, horsey sort of face. Big sort of. <laughs> yeah, he's got a comedy face. Yeah. Um, he looks a bit old to be a policeman, but you know we'll let that pass. He 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 was at this point. I think he was about forty-seven. No 46, way. Forty-seven. He looks really yeah. old. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I thought he, he was like in his sixties. No, um, and he he sadly died a couple of years later in nineteen seventy nine. Really? Uh, oh, yeah. People look older in the old days, didn't they? Yeah, they did, mate, and they sadly didn't didn't stick around as long, did no. they? I mean, the the last thing I saw him in was I watched the Blu-ray recently of Bless This House, which we mentioned earlier, and he yes. is he is Sid uh, Sid Abbott's outgoing neighbour. Yes, uh, that's before right. Terry Scott moves in. So, so yeah, he pulls him over. There's there's lots of uh, squeaky bum moments, shall we say? Where, I mean, he, at one point he even he even helps Bob lift the uh, lift lift the crate, yeah. uh, and he sort of quips, "Oh, what have you got? A body in here?" Uh, yeah, <laughs> the classic. Um, uh, so then, and this is, I think, a scene you're quite into. So, well, you know what I mean. Yeah. So he ends up. Um in the house of this uh, woman, who's a classic bored housewife called Sally. And she disappears upstairs and comes down dressed as a dominatrix, as you do. I knew you'd be just game for anything the moment I saw you out there. No, no, I, I didn't mean that. that, that uh, does a... it do things for you? I see all the sex films, you know. Hot lust and sweaty thighs. Nuns in rubber. No, look, I mean, I, I didn't, I didn't, I just, I thought that that would be mean, anything. Well, ordinary I, I, sex gets so boring, doesn't it? Especially with Frederick. He's my husband. He's got no imagination. Not like the milkman. You'd be amazed what he gets up to with his extra pinter. Then it's into the high heel boots and Gestapo uniform for a quick bit of the night porter with the gas mask. How about a bit of last tango in Paris? I've got loads of butter in the fridge. Oh, Christ. I would have suggested deep throat, but I tried it with the window cleaner last week and nearly choked myself. Look, love, I only came in here to get my hands washed oh, out. I love it when they play hard for guests. Yeah. So there's a, <laughs> a much needed uh, sex scene she warmed in. Yeah. Um. um. But so, he's got other things to attend to, hasn't yeah, he? Yeah, of course. It doesn't, you know, he's he's kind of looking a bit scared and worried in that way. Um, and she she's going on about the milkman with his extra pints. And um, there's a line about trying it with the window cleaner last week, but he choked. So that's another cheeky, another cheeky reference yeah. to the Confessions films from, from Mr. Long, I would suggest. Exactly. Um, what's that uh, actress's name? It's uh, Hilary Pritchard. Yes, she's in a few of these films as well. Yeah, she's she's another game actress. Yeah, she's got a, a decent, in, like inverted commas, she's got a, a, a substantial role in uh, 
under the doctor. I wonder what you're going to say then. She has a decent. Yeah, no, no. Let's let's move on. Let's move on. Keep it classy. Um, so then he goes. Ends up with him going to the police station, and there's a nice little cameo from someone called Shaw Taylor, who I, I don't believe you you know, do you? No, I noticed him in the credits where it says and Shaw Taylor as himself, and I didn't have a chance to look into it. But no, that that didn't ring any bells with me. So Shaw Taylor is for people of the 70s uh he used to be on a show called police five which was on um sunday afternoons and it was like a prototype sort of crime stoppers ah right um, okay but, and he, he was also a tv presenter and he used to present things like the um what's that the, the car show they used to have in Earl's court the um you know he used to do all sorts of things like that right but, but it's a nice little cameo um would, would he have been you know, in terms of the the police one, would that have been just a regional thing, or would that would that have been? I think it might have been think? London, actually. I'm not sure. Um, but he had the famous um, line at the end: "Keep and peeled." He used to say at the end. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna look this guy up. So um, presumably a friend of Stanley's, I imagine. I imagine so. Yeah. Um, so also, sorry to yeah. interrupt you. Also, when he goes to the police station, um, so we we we. We failed to mention the the opening scene before the credits, which involves um, Bob in bed with a lady. She gets up to you know go to the toilet, whatever, and her husband returns home from night shift and a classic sex the... comedy scenario. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's a very good scene. Yeah, um, but the guy in that, the husband with the hairy arms, and then the desk sergeant in this film, uh, sorry, in this scene. Are the make up the the two old taxi drivers that we talked about in the previous episode? The ones who were, you know, given Bob, uh, given Barry Evans loads of uh, uh, abuse in the cafe about him, you know, thinking he invented sex, etc., etc. Yes, that's him. Yeah, yeah. So it's a nice little scene, as you say, um, the beginning scene. Yeah, where he, so he comes back and he thinks it's his wife in bed, but it's Bob, and he curls up to her and. him and initially Bob obviously thinks it's her and then suddenly his eyes spring open and the next scene he's running down the street knocking over milk bottles yeah and I think the uh, he he leaps out and I think it freeze frames with him sort of naked and and sort of mid-air and then the music kicks in yeah brilliant brilliant opening scene um so he goes to try and report it to the police and the desk sergeant uh, helpfully signposts him to the house of the you know the chief inspector or whatever. Of course. Um, which so seg- unfortunately, unfortunately isn't in, but his wife is. Yes, and he gets to see Angela Schular again. Uh, well, not again, sorry. Um, uh, we, well, see yeah, again, Ange- we see Angela Schular We see her in again. the previous film. Yeah, we do. Not, not uh, Bob, though. Um, no, true, true. Um, Angela Schooler, and, and again, another friend of Michael Armstrong's, hence appearing in both of these films. Yes. Um, and so there's a scene, you know, pouring the drinks. Because um, he's um, there as the plumber, isn't he's he? He's there as the plumber, um, but she gets a bit fruity. Um, yeah. And they start. Well, you, you, you always offer the plumber a drink. Of course, yeah. <laughs> we know that, don't we? From <laughs> Tradesmen always get offered drinks, don't they? Yeah, they do, yeah. yeah. Uh, and then next thing we know, they're at it on the sofa, and down the stairs comes annoying ginger-haired kid. Yeah, Peter Moran, aka Pogo Patterson, 
from popular kids TV show Grange Hill. Yes, indeed. Um, this was the there was another Grange Hill connection. Ah, oh, yes. Well, there's three, in fact. Yes. So the man in the opening scene, as we mentioned last week, was, was the, the original yeah. grumpy caretaker. We've then got Anna Quill, who had a good spell of 80-plus episodes in the 90s as art teacher Mrs. Monroe, yeah. which was a, a role she was kind of born to play, and she yeah. was fantastic at it. She's and a, we, she's, her acting is pretty similar to as it is in this film, isn't it? In yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, sort of eccentric, bohemian, etc., etc. dare I say, over the top. Yes, yes, and that was that was her thing. Yeah. Um, sadly, no longer with us, which I wasn't aware no. of until I researched this. Um, so yes, Pogo Patterson comes downstairs with his sort of extremely uh, recognisable nasal nasal sound, and he, um, he asks he asks his mummy all kinds of awkward questions. Yes, and then uh, obviously the husband comes home, who's the chief of police, naturally. Yes. And so all questions are asked, and Pogo Patterson says, uh, "Daddy, why don't plumbers wear any trousers?" <laughs> it's a it's a it's a fundamental question for for this for this world <laughs> of ours. Mum, mummy, what are you doing? Mummy's just having a little chat with a plumber. Why are you lying down? Don't ask silly questions. Do as I told you and go to bed. Argo! Where did he come from? Upstairs! Oh, God! Quick! Hello, Willie. Is your mummy in? Yes. Oh, Mrs. Groomton, what a lovely surprise. I do hope I'm not interrupting anything. Oh, no! Why are you jumping up and down on top of Mummy? Willie, dear, it's way past your bedtime. <laughs> yeah, and then and then the actual plumber turns up and everyone's sort of looking at each other awkwardly and Bob makes his hasty escape. Yes. Um, just to quickly mention the, the chief inspectors, um, Jonathan Adams, who I, I knew from the film version of uh, the Rocky Horror Picture Show. He plays Dr. Dr. Everett Scott, whose nephew is um, Eddie, played by Meatloaf. Um, and then I think he turns up in Plumber's Mate as well, as a maybe as a rent collector. Yeah. But he didn't do... He you know, he falls into the camp of not usually in these types of films. I'm just checking his name. He's called Inspector Hogg in this. Right. Is there a significance to that, do you think? No, not really. I'm just... <laughs> just... <laughs> thanks, thanks, for, thanks for dropping in. <laughs> So, what happens next? Um, well, I mean, at this point, we've kind of hit about the hour mark yeah. of the film, and if you know, we, we've we've skimmed over quite a bit as well. Uh, quite a lot happened by this point, and then we get into the sort of final third. Yeah. And... So there's another great uh, scene for all the uh, the ham actors. They have a séance, don't they? Yes. And there's some sort of obligatory, you know, Bob Bob hiding under the table and sort of obligatory um, knocking the table so it, it looks yeah. like the, the spirits have been summoned and then accidentally feeling people's legs and they look to the person next to them as if to say, oh, I didn't know you cared. And, you know, it's it's quite funny. Yeah, yeah, it's a good little scene. Um, and then, see, this is where it all starts to get a bit 
because the plot is quite dense, isn't it? So you, you start to get a bit losing their track of what's going on. Because Willie Rushton turns up, doesn't yeah. he? <clears throat> yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's that's a bit. Is, is he? He's a reporter, isn't he? Yeah, it's a, and it's he a, kind of eventually joins forces with Ian Lavender and Maud Cribbage Gubbage. Yeah, um, so this all leads to um, going to the nightclub, doesn't it? Yeah, which uh, is quite a big. This is quite a big, uh, big scene in the film. Yeah, and, and for my <laughs> money, this all just goes on a bit too long because um, it's been quite fast paced up until this point. We're never in the same place or with the same sort of characters for long other than Bob. It sort of moves along but for me this nightclub scene uh, I, I like the nightclub He's... scene <clears throat> so yeah the nightclub um, obviously this is where we see again um, Adrian Post- Poster yeah, uh, she plays a nightclub singer called Lisa Maroney. And it's Liza Maroney. Yeah, yeah, it's obviously uh, a, it's a sort of Liza Minnelli cabaret yeah. style. She does a spoof of the sort of cabaret sort of number. Yeah, so Sally Walls um, is that the character? Yeah. And again, she's obviously a big fan of Michael Armstrong, so he's given her a really nice little part here. So she gets to do a maybe the song and dance number goes on a little bit too long. <laughs> Maroney with an I, not Maroney with an E, cause Maroney with an E means stupid. Like time without a T, I'm a P without a bow, cause I haven't got a bow like Cupid. Miss Helen and Troy, when she didn't have a boy, had a sail across the sea to Paris. And Mac with a Beth couldn't wait to get when he looked behind his aerosol. Yeah. But, I, um, yeah, and it ends, it, it involves uh, Bob West trying to get into the club and he gets thrown out. So and can't... just remind us and sort of sort of fill listeners in. What, why has he gone to the club? What's the what's the reason? Uh, he, oh yes, so he's gone to uh, get uh, get some money off someone, hasn't he? Yeah. So for, it, it, in return for the um, photos. So they've received one of those old styly um, blackmail. Yes. Letters with you know bits of newspaper, yeah. newspaper yeah. Uh, letters cut out. I mean, we we did discuss in the first recording, but you know, did, were there a thing, or was that just from? Well, you only have a, I've never had a blackmail letter, so I don't really know. But <laughs> there is still time. <laughs> don't, don't do another podcast, or else. Um, um, it's something you always seen in films: that people cutting out little letters and pasting it down. You know, and whether that actually happened, I have not, but I suppose it makes sense, doesn't it, to do it that way. Yeah, but they were, yeah they wouldn't have been worried about fingerprints. Uh, yeah, you're right. You, you, well, hand, I suppose it's handwriting. The handwriting, yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so he's got to meet someone. Um, so he ends up naturally disguised as one of the chorus girls, um, <laughs> and then he sits down next to the brilliant uh, Fred Emney, who's a big chap, big old chap. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He was a famous uh, musical star in the 30s, 40s, 50s. Um, and he thinks that Bob is a lady of the night. Yes. Um, and there's a mix-up with them. He thinks Bob is trying to charge him £50,000 for a bit of uh, hanky-panky. <laughs> <laughs> but he, he seems to like paying it. <laughs> yeah, he, he has to think about it. But then there, there is another mix-up where... 
Bob says, "Well, let's let's see the goods," and he thinks he needs to get his uh, his little man out. Yeah. Make it down to business, shall we? Uh, how much? Fifty thousand pounds. Fifty thousand? It's a bit pricey, isn't it? I've never paid more than forty. All right, all right, forty. Let's not quibble. Thing is, how do I know you've got the goods? Very good. Well, you don't think I'm going to give you what you want without seeing what you've got, do you? You don't think I'm going to get it out here and show you, do you? Well, there might be something missing. There wasn't this morning. Yes, well, how am I supposed to know that? What kind of sucker do you take me for? Anyway, I'm not doing anything until I see what you've got. So that all ends in in disaster. A second mention in this podcast series for the Italian job because he has a really sort of quite memorable yes gentle cameo in the Italian job where he he sort of goes around uh I forget which Italian city it is is it Turin Turin I think yeah yeah sort of putting transmitters or something in that's right yeah yeah he's the one who does um, that and he was also in just I'm, I'm not fetching this from memory I'm just done a bit of research he was in the original British film of Brewster's Millions, which was ah, obviously re- yes. famously remade with um, um, Richard Pryor, Richard Pryor and John Candy. Yes, yeah. brilliant. It's funny the links, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the yeah, it's strange. Um, so where were so we? So Bob's in drag. He's, yes, he's had the mix up with <clears throat> Fred Emney. Yeah, so uh, he goes off with Adrian Poster uh, back yes. to her apartment or hotel room. Yes, because um, she's um, she finds out he's a private eye, and she says something along the lines of she's dreamt about dicks, as in <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know, I know what you meant. You don't <laughs> you don't have to sort of clarify it. For well, me. you know, just not not for you, for our listeners. <laughs> uh, yeah, and and she she does want a bit of Bob, doesn't she? Yeah, and so they said this bit. This is the bit you're probably talking about in her room. Her gangster boyfriend comes back, um, played by Nicholas Young, who was later or around this time in the kids' TV show The Tomorrow People. Are you familiar ah, with that? Ah, is that where he's from? I, I, yeah. I did wonder. No, I, I'm, a, I'm familiar with it. I don't remember it, I'm afraid. Um, yeah. It was a, a little of, bit too, too young. Yeah, it was an ITV um, uh, sci-fi sort of kids' show, you know. Um, probably has its, its fan base. Like all these things do, you know. No, I, th- I think it does. I think it has a big one. The yeah. uh, tomorrow people. Uh, did he do much else? I'm just having a, another quick look here. He was in um, Kessler, which was the Secret Army yes. spin-off, which I haven't caught up with yet. I'm a huge Secret Army fan, but I haven't watched Kessler yet. <laughs> right, so he's a sort of mafia style. Yeah, I think. Hoodlum. I think it's called Luigi or something, isn't he? He's called. Um... <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's uh, Legs Le- Luigi. Luigi. Yeah, Legs Luigi. Legs Luigi. That's it. And so there's a big scene of Bob hiding in the cupboard and all this sort of nonsense. Um, and it ends with uh, Bob being chased away by two sort of henchmen. Yeah, they're a, they're a funny pair, aren't they? Yeah, two, two unlikely sort of really sort of overweight looking henchmen. Mil- Milton Reed, he, he's quite yes. uh, in loads of these sort of films. He, he has quite an interesting life. Yeah, I mean, it's. I mean, his his CV is pretty interesting. You know, just his just his film appearances are interesting because he was in obviously in Bond films yeah. and and then in these films and and then we know that he was a 
a very close friend of Barry Milling. He was, yeah. Um, and he's he's teamed up with this guy, uh, the actor's called John Robinson, but he's absolutely huge. He's like a massive beach ball. And he actually has trouble getting through the doors. And you, you kind of think, you know, these guys are going to be easy to run away from. But they, they give surprisingly good chase. They do, yeah. Uh, I mean, they're, they're not as ridiculous as the henchmen in the next film, Plumber's Mate, but we'll yeah, get we'll, onto those. We'll, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, 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 I mean, that really does push, um, <laughs> you know, believability, plausibility. Yeah. So um, Bob disguises a, as a... He puts a blanket over himself and disguises as a shake to get out yeah, of the Yeah, there's a bit of bit of brown face going on, yeah. which is, you know, unfortunate, but, you know, different times. Yeah. Um, and... Um, Does he say shalom? But... Confusing. He might do, yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> but they fall for it for yeah. a split second. And it ends up with him, this is one of my favourite scenes of the film, with him on the bus. Um, and as he steps off the bus, which is a 111 going to Hounslow for bus fans. Yeah, your old bus, yeah. Yeah. Um, the bus I've been on many times. Um, so the bus door shut, catches the sheet, and of course he runs off. And he's naked. Did that ever happen to you on the bus? Uh, not often. Not often. Not often. No. no um, and as we discussed before about the way Stanley films things, I, I don't know if it, he didn't have permission, but I like to think he just filmed it on the hoof. And uh, you know, I'm reasonably certain that that's. For stuff like this, that this is a given. It look it looks like that's probably what happened because um, you know, who's, you know ask, um, what's the phrase? You know, ask for ask for forgiveness, not for permission. So <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. Um, so he's running around naked. Of course, he finds the washing line. You know, he puts on some bloomers. Yeah, so that's quite funny. To so hide his modesty. Nora Batty style. <laughs> it is funny. Um, just going back to the bus thing and the the bus doors shutting and the 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 the, the sheet being pulled yeah. away. Another, yeah, you know, arguably sort of a bit of a standard thing in these films, but very specifically in the adventures films, it happens in at least once in every single. The naked sort of running through the streets, yeah, yeah. Um, and and covering themselves with some like ridiculous garment. Yeah, definitely happens in Taxi Driver. Yeah, it's happening here. In uh, Adventures of a Plumber's Mate, we have the standard uh, motorbike pulling away and ripping off a girl's skirt and her yep. being left, you know. <clears throat> so, but it's all it's all jolly good fun. This is a this this scene of him running about and it, it's actually it's almost sort of silent comedy esque. Yes, um, there's some quite good visual yeah. bits. And again, I think Stanley was a fan of um, slapstick and that sort of thing. You know, he was um, his tastes were quite old school. I think underneath, yeah, uh, yeah he, he didn't really have much um, interest in the you know modern way of yeah comedy and things like that. Yeah, he was very much old school in that respect. Because there's also a scene where, and it's really well done. We see Bob sort of go behind a wall. And then just effortlessly, he emerges from the wall, cycling on a bike. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so... And then, and then just to just to kind of finish off, he trips and falls into a, a, a grave plot. Yes, he does, yeah. And, the, and there's the vicar there doing the ashes to ashes, of course. And then he starts groaning, much <laughs> yeah. to the much to the upset of the uh, 
dead person's <laughs> yeah. your morning morning relatives. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Again, another another sort of standard in a lot of these films, isn't that sort yeah. of scene? Yeah. Um, so this all ends. There's a they go back to the house, and the plot gets quite convoluted. I think. Yeah, I I, I, I literally <clears throat> lost the plot when I last yeah. watched this. But um, I was kind of just gave up on it really. And they all end up sort of in a sort of writhing on the floor and a big sort of bird stuffed bird falls down from the ceiling yeah and it's almost all over like a wedding isn't it yeah and from there we get, come back to how we began with john pertwee yeah with his with his top off yeah and he's having a massage a little lower a little slower please <laughs> <laughs> amateur robert amateur i did almost solve it You shouldn't have been solving anything. A little slower and a little lower, please, Miss Walker. Uh, they're all kind of, uh, What I like about this is that they're all sort of John Pertree and then Ian Lavender and Maud Gubbage, who are, who are now an item and they've announced that they're getting married. Yeah. Um, it's a nice little have... setup. It's like, it's like a. Uh, you know, the, the explanation scene, the end of Scooby Doo, they, they all get back together and they all, everything's right again you know everything's solved yeah. everything's right and they're all having a laugh at bob's expense which yeah. is funny yeah exactly uh, he doesn't find it funny but they do um it's almost you know it's it's quite easy to be sort of quite fanciful and go off on little flights of fancy with the with this stuff but that little setup of bob and then this couple who kind of advise him and sort of take the piss out of him and then jordan it's almost got the feel of like it could, it could have been um, its own little sort of comedy series, really. Yeah, or yeah, sort of a hour-long ITV kind of. Yeah. Mind yeah. that sort of minder sort of yeah. comedy drama sort of. Yeah. Yeah, it could. You're right. If only, eh? if only. If only, mate. Definitely. Um, um, so yeah, so and then... then it's got one of the greatest endings, I think, of a seventies film. Um, Talk me through it. So. Um, Judd is uh, going. He, he asks uh, Bob to go and get get. A, uh, he can. Oh, what's that about a case, isn't it? Yeah, he says I've got a case for you. Got to a pick case up. You, yeah. <laughs> he says, "Oh, really? Is it? Is it? You know, is it something exciting?" Yeah. And he says, "No, it's a, it's a case of champagne." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, and in the foreground above um, John Pertwee is this fan that's been wearing along. Yes. Um, and so Bob turns. Close up of a foot tripping over the wire. It brings the fan down onto John Pertwee's little Pertwee. Yeah. And he screams in agony. And it ends with a close up of Bob looking at the camera with a sort of shrug on his face. Yeah, I think you should be grateful. I haven't decided to fire you. I am, Mr. Blake. Good. And now you'd like to crack a case for me. Oh, really? What? What kind of case is it, Mr. Blake? case of champagne celebrate that young couple's happy engagement (laughs) 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 (laughs)
And then the music kicks in. Yeah. No, it it all comes... I do think it loses its weight just before that. It all kind of comes full circle. And like you say, there's this kind of explanation and everything's everything's okay. Um, and then that, that, that classic scene with the, with uh, John Pertwee yelping. Yep. Um, so it leaves you, you... You would have watched that and you would have left the cinema with a smile on your face. Laughing, exactly. Yeah. Definitely, yeah. So, um, like we said, what do we think? Um, well, I'll go first if that's okay. I yeah. think this is, you know, it's like I said earlier, this is almost not really a sex comedy. This is more a traditional British British comedy, um, sort of co- comedy mystery, really. Um, and I, I think it, I think it holds up. I think it holds up really well. I think, it, I think its flaws are nothing to do with the fact that it's a sex comedy. Um, I think its flaws are to do with at points piercing and you know maybe things being a little bit too hammy like the Adrian Poster stuff. For now, me, it's a, if I can it's just, that's little... in. It's interesting you say about pacing because in Michael Armstrong's book he says he was not happy with the way it was edited. Ah, he says he says it needs to be a bit more pacier. Your exact phrase. Well, you know, me and me and uh, <laughs> legendary filmmaker Michael Armstrong obviously just you know, cut from the same cloth. Um, I, th- I think, like I said, I think the first hour, I think, trots along really quite nicely. Um, I, I just think that I think that final third, that final half hour, uh, it, just that club scene. There are funny moments, but it just goes on a bit too long. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's I think it's a brave attempt to have that that very dense sort of plot. Um, yeah. uh, but like all this, it's saved because there, there's so many good set pieces. You know, it, 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 that, that's what I like about Stanley's films. It, it, there's sometimes the plot goes off tangent a bit, but the set pieces make it for me. Yeah, no, the, uh, a lot of a lot of hard work and, and effort has gone into these films. I mean, this one in particular is written really well for the you know the reasons that we've discussed. I think. Um, Christopher Neal is really a bit of a natural, actually. I think he's pretty talented, and he plays Bob West like this, this almost like Fletch, you know, Chevy Chase Fletch, yeah. like this bumbling private detective who thinks he's really good, but then you know the slight looks to the camera where he's 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 almost embarrassed because he's been made to look foolish and he keeps you as the viewer involved. I know it sounds like we're maybe over sort of intellectualising this, but <laughs> I, I just think it. I think there's some really good stuff on show here in terms I, of script and performances. I don't think it's Barry Evans' fault, but I think Christopher Neal comes across as a bit more sympathetic. Um, I think it's just the way the taxi driver is written. The character of yeah, I'd I'd agree, and you could argue actually that that comes full circle with Plummer's mate because he's he's well he's he's not as sympathetic, and it's no. not a particularly well-rounded sort of character. Um, so um, you know my just you know my view is in terms of this genre of film, much maligned, but there's some really good stuff in there. The Confessions films are for me very legitimate. 1970s British comedies to be uttered in the same breath as the Carry On films and you know some of the better um, sitcom spin-offs like On the Buses and stuff like that. They're legitimate films. I, um, I would beg to differ on the buses, but 
That's I know you're not a fan, but I suppose I'm just talking about the, those films which are seemingly accepted as kind yeah, of definitely. legitimate and, and, and yeah. good to varying degrees. Um, I think Eskimo now is a is is a brilliant film. I, mean, I think the the Citizen Kane quotes slightly tongue in cheek, but it is a it's a it's a good satire almost, isn't it, of the is. what was going on at the time. Um, and then and then and then I think this is the next best film in the whole. I don't know if you call it canon or or, or whatever. I mean, what we've got to understand, as we've said before, is that these films were independently made. So there's no studio behind them. Yeah, uh, like Confessions had Columbia, Carry On had Rank, or is it Rank? Did Carry On? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so to get those made and make make these sort of huge profits was quite a quite a big thing. And for the end product to be of a of a decent quality. Exactly. I mean, um, there, there's some of these seventy sex films that are made in this low, very low budget way, and they're they're appalling. You know. Yeah. Appalling. Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, we, you know, we've covered one or two of the less, you know, not without merit, as you would say, but less good ones, yeah. shall we say? Um, but generally, we focused on 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 good ones so far. Yeah. How do you so you're you're happy with Christopher Neal and his performance in this? Yeah, I think he's great. Yeah, he's brilliant. And, and the rest of the cast we've discussed as we've been talking through. Yet, yeah, it's it's a brilliant, brilliant cast. Yeah, fully agree. So, what? Um, so, what came next? Then, what, what's gonna what's gonna happen next for the series and for our podcast? Well, obviously, the next uh, in the series was Adventures of a Plumber's Mate, but there was a film it was gonna be before that called Adventures of a Pool's Winner. Oh, is is this new info from this from is, your from your book? It's something I think I might have heard before, but it's just new information I've come across yesterday. So that'll be interesting to talk about. <clears throat> so there's a fourth film um, that was made by me, which has involvement from Stanley Long, which we will talk about next time. Ah, because you're a, you're a tease. Yes, I I actually got to know Stanley a little bit. Shall I tell you about that? Yes, please. That'd be and, good. And there's a reason why this particular film we're talking about today is uh, a little bit special to me. So basically, there was an event at the BFI uh, showing a film called Primitive London, I think, which Stanley was yes. cameraman for. And he was there and I got to talk to him and I gave him... I had a DVD of a film I'd made, which was called Can You Keep It Up With This, That and The Other for a Week? which was a 15-minute pastiche of the 70s sex comedy. Yes. So it involves a window cleaner uh, who gets involved with a mad scientist who's got this sex ray, which makes <laughs> our lead character, who's called Robin Evans. See what I did there? I do, yeah. yeah um, it makes him irresistible to women, but it also makes him irresistible to men and gorillas, and it all ends with a big, big silly chase with everyone... <laughs> Trying to rip his clothes off. <laughs> so that was the film I made. So it's it's a it's not a parody. It's a pastiche. So it's all done uh, in a in a in, not a loving way, but with respect. With respect to the genre. Yeah. 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 Um, I'm not taking the piss out of it, basically. Yeah. Um, so I gave it to Stanley, and then he said, hey, "He'll have a look at it." Um, and then a couple of days later, the phone rings, and he it's him on the end of the line saying, "Hi, oh, it's Stanley here." 
Ooh. I really like your little film. Would you like to uh, come round to my house and uh, we talk about filmmaking? I said, um, yeah, go on then. And, um, <laughs> and so I went round and he lives in a really nice house in Dedham and we had a nice discussion about filmmaking. When I was there, um, Pete Walker phoned him up and I was like, wow, yeah, I'm just sitting here and Stanley's talking to Pete Walker on the phone. That was quite exciting. And then wow. we, we went into, um, Stanley had a newly built log cabin in his garden and we watched Adventures of a Private Eye and he talked me through it. He gave me a personal commentary on his film, Adventures of a Private Eye, which was pretty amazing. And do you recall kind of his take on the film? How did he, how did he feel about the film? Maybe well, in relation to the others as well. This is what I think. He he clearly loved this film. Um, you know, that's, I guess that's why he chose that was one to watch. Yeah, I think uh, because of the the plot and the, the you know, it wasn't just a sex comedy. It had all the other you know haunted house stuff, and yeah, you know, I think he liked all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, so obviously I was making a, I had a new plan in the offing, um, and he offered to give me some assistance with that, which we'll talk about in the next episode. Um, but one of the things he did do was he introduced me to Michael Armstrong. Ah, okay. And I I met up with him and he gave me, uh, some tips on writing, um, comedy script, which I like to think helped me a bit. If you've any, seen the any... film, you might beg, beg to differ. No, no, I, 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 you, you, I've, I've seen them. I've seen them both, and I'm, I'm a big fan. Um, any pearls that you remember? Well, um, I, it was ages ago. I wish I could have recorded it or something. But one, one, another thing he did do was that he introduced me to some actors who ended up in my next film, which was called. Ah. Uh, so again, like he did the casting for. Stanley's films he helped me with the casting for my film um so he and the film in question is called the adventures of a plumber in outer space and again I see what you did there (laughs) yeah uh so it was quite an ambitious film for me because obviously a lot of it was set on an alien planet or in space so I had to you know it was uh quite a big quite a big undertaking but the uh, the the end results speak for themselves because it's really good. Thank you. Uh, but we'll talk. As I say we'll talk about that more in the next episode, shall we? Yeah, let's. Well, um, thank you very much for sharing that. I think that's quite a scoop. Um, so I'm I'm trying to think of you know a personal a personal you know connection I could share, but you know, <laughs> there isn't one. You know, I um, I also I also got invited to the. Uh, DVD launch of the Adventures films, which was at Stringfellows. That was a hell of a night. I've heard, I've heard rumours about your sort of uh, affiliation with Stringfellows. So, how long were you? How long were you a paid member for? <laughs> I don't have to pay. Oh, do you just I'm, get it? Do you just I'm, skip I'm, the queue? I'm welcomed like an old friend. <laughs> uh, was um, was Brian Tilsley from Coronation Street? Was he work? Was he working the door that Sadly, night? Sadly, no, I didn't see him there. No, I mean there was so many other, you know, celebs there. I didn't really, you know. Who else was there? So we had uh, Christopher Biggins was there. 
Nicholas Young was there actually from who we just mentioned. Oh right. Um, uh, Prudent Strange. Um, God, there's also um, Christopher Neal was there, crucially. Oh, yeah. So I did actually briefly meet him. I got a couple of photos. Um, so yeah, it's all you know. It's it's pretty exciting stuff. So these films. Oh, Jess Conrad film... was there as well for unknown reasons. Well, yeah, the, <laughs> he's, he's at the opening of an envelope. To be fair <laughs> to Jess, yeah. um, by his own admission. Um, so these films and this film in particular is is one very close to your heart. Yes, I think so because I did get to know Stanley a little bit as well. So it's it's yeah. So they, you know, and I'm so he was such a nice guy. You know, he didn't have to acknowledge me at all, really. Uh, but he yeah. did. Yeah, I think he was quite excited that somebody would want to pay homage to a film that he made. Yeah, because. That wasn't, you know, the, the the perspective has changed about these films, hasn't yeah. it? Yeah, so we're talking about... Uh, I made Can You Keep It Up with this, that and the other for a week uh, in 2003, then the Plumber film in 2007. So, yeah, so around the 2000s, it wasn't... It was the early days of the sort of rehabilitation of this sort of film. Yeah, yeah. And, well, you know, people like you... Uh, contributed to that yeah and you know made them uh i'm not gonna say acceptable or mainstream again but you know people people have taken a second look at these films which you know is all really we can ask and i, I think that's fair and the ones that are, the ones that are terrible you know remain terrible but the ones that are pretty good and have had a bit of a rough ride historically well it's good that they are getting the the credit that they deserve and i think this definitely yeah. falls in that category definitely and uh might as well say these films are available on blu-ray from indicator films stanley long's adventures yeah a brilliant a brilliant as we discussed last in our last episode a brilliant um a brilliant box set it's all yeah. lavishly packaged full of extras um the films themselves have been remastered and look terrific, so I definitely recommend um, that you that you get involved with that. Took a jump on Susie Kendo. A sexy widow who was being blackmailed I met her in-laws who were mental Harry H. Corbett, Liz Fraser and the Quail Hanging out the crowds like manner Creepy butler, crazy family I took a boat ride with Clarissa Fell in the water, it ended sexually Mom was private high, a detective for hire. I do what you wants me to do. Mom was private high, I'm not Barry Evans. We didn't want adventures part two. I spied on Robin's Stewart. Mike from Bless's house on the telly. Wasn't in the movie version. That was Robin Asquith, thankfully. Irene Handel plays Miss Freaky. I 
Simon Bates, they got away with that. Freight at me in the nightclub. Every imposter in his alley bowler hat. Mom wears private eye. I dress as her dancer. And order her nice pint of bitter. Mom wears private eye. If you enjoyed the podcast, send us a message on Twitter. Mom wears private eye. A detective for hire. I do what you wants me to do. Mom was private eye. I'm not Barry Evans. He was filming under the doctor at the same time. I'll see you next week. Until then, keep it peeled. Bye bye.